Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And also by PolicyPack Software, where you can use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, mitigate ransomware, and more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the podcast each week, give them to thank. And now for some news. On the podcast, I previously covered the fact that Zoom has had an incredible growth due to the surge in work from home. It has not been a quiet success, however, with some significant security and data privacy concerns being brought to the forefront, including allegations that Zoom's app for iOS sends your data to Facebook even if you don't have a Facebook account, and there's claims of Zoom leaking personal information of at least thousands of users, including their email address and photo, and giving strangers the ability to attempt to start a video call with them through Zoom. I also saw on Twitter some were showing that participants in meetings were automatically getting linked to their LinkedIn accounts within their Zoom profile. Even more worrying than this, however, is the fact that there were two zero-day vulnerabilities exposed by security researcher Patrick Wardle this week. According to a report from TechCrunch.com, for the first of the vulnerabilities, an attack can be launched by a local attacker, so someone who actually gets to the machine physically and is actually on that machine just directly. Once exploited, the attacker can gain and maintain persistent access to the innards of a victim's computer, allowing them to install malware or spyware or pretty much whatever they want. Wardle found that a local attacker with low-level user privileges can inject the Zoom installer with malicious code to obtain the highest level of user privileges. The second bug exploits a flaw in how Zoom handles the webcam and microphone on Macs. Zoom, like any app that needs the webcam and microphone, first requires consent from the user. But Wardle said an attacker can inject malicious code into Zoom to trick it into giving the attacker the same access to the webcam and microphone that Zoom already has. And once Wardle tricked Zoom into loading his malicious code, the code will then automatically inherit any or all of Zoom's access rights, he said. And that includes Zoom's access to the webcam and microphone. Unfortunately, as these were published in a blog post this week, Zoom does not yet have a fix to patch the security bugs, but from the description at least, that first bug requires someone physically getting onto your computer. So that one's going to be a lot trickier for someone to actually carry out. Over the last two weeks alone, even some in our end-user computing community have had personal experience with some of Zoom's shortcomings, as their Zoom meetings got infiltrated by strangers spamming their chat, and in one case, playing crude videos on their stream. Zoom security flaws and cracks are appearing at a time when they've become obviously so widely used, and that's particularly concerning considering some of the high-value targets who are using it. This week, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson shared a screenshot from one of his government's Zoom meetings, complete with the meeting ID in view. And Chancellor Michael Gove did not change his display name, so in the screenshot, his name was actually his Zoom ID. 
Luckily, the meeting was at least password protected, but still, these high-value targets are publishing this stuff out there, and some who are less tech-savvy are also falling prey to publishing their Zoom meeting links without password protection publicly on social media or sharing screenshots just like Boris Johnson did, but with much more negative results. The zero-day vulnerability that I mentioned about two weeks ago on the podcast, I believe, that manipulates the Adobe Type Manager library, which is what helps Windows render fonts, may have a possible workaround mitigation available now. You may recall, if you listened to the podcast that week, that although the vulnerability had been exposed, it was not going to be patched until April's Patch Tuesday, so it still has not been patched. But Microsoft MVP Sylvan Cortez blogged a possible workaround, and that's by using a couple of group policy objects. One is a File Explorer GPO to disable previewing locally and over the network. You turn off display of thumbnails and only display icons, and also turn off the display of thumbnails and only display icons and network folders. And also a computer configuration-based policy to disable web client service from system services. If you're interested in trying out this mitigation, I'll share a link with more information getting into exactly where you can find those GPOs. With this episode, which is episode 118 on 5bytespodcast.com, you'll find it under reference links. This week, Microsoft confirmed an internet connectivity bug, which affected PCs and servers running all supported versions of Windows 10 devices that are using a proxy, especially with a VPN. With the work from home surge, this one got patched very quickly and out of band. So an update is now available to manually install from the Microsoft Update catalog. The patch is not being released to all users automatically via Windows Update, and Microsoft recommends that only users affected by the problem should install the fix. So if you're using VPN and you notice that your network adapter icon is showing limited or no internet connection status in the network connectivity status indicator in the notification area, this may be caused by this vulnerability. ZDNet reported this week to the VPN has actually seen a 33% increase in use since this work from home surge started. So not surprising. VPN is a little bit antiquated, but it's mature, so it works. The same site feature in Google Chrome has been rolled back due to COVID-19. This is a feature that I talked about on a couple different episodes of the podcast previously. And once enabled, the feature prevents third-party domains from creating cookie files while the user was not on their website. And while Google claims most were prepared for the change coming, with the current situation that we find ourselves in, it's just not a good time to roll out a significant change like this. The current plan is to instead roll the feature out during the summer. I had the pleasure of doing an interview with Trentai ControlUp a couple of weeks ago to talk about some of the challenges we have faced over the last few weeks. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has been through the work chaos due to the work from home surge too, and it's probably going to be pretty relatable to you, so you might want to check that out. 
And if you do, I'll share a link with this episode again, which is on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 118. And speaking of Trent, he threw down the gauntlet for a community challenge of sorts. He'll be taking on VDoppler on Twitter to a friendly contest to see who can set up a functioning farm the fastest with Trent selecting Citrix virtual apps and desktops and going up against a VMware Horizon setup to see who could be the fastest. There is no registration or live stream link available at the time of this recording, but the intention is for it to be live streamed on April 14th. So I hope to share the details on this on next week's episode. Citrix have just released a new connector appliance for cloud services as a technical preview. To me, this makes a lot of sense because the current cloud connector requires you to set up a full VM, or actually multiple VMs for robustness. But in reality, the cloud connector service is pretty lightweight, so the requirement of having a full VM is a little clunky. And moving to an appliance should save some OS licensing costs. The appliance, as you might have guessed, is available as a Linux appliance, and it's available for Citrix Hypervisor, Microsoft Hyper-V, and VMware ESXi. There's a Citrix docs page that lists the network and resource requirements for setting up the preview appliance that I'll share with this episode. A public preview of FSLogix version 20.04, which brings with it about 17 fixes, is now available. There's no indication yet on when the full release date is, but given the version, I'd bet it will be pretty soon. IGEL have released IGEL OS version 11.3.500. It brings some new features and many new additional integrations, and it's available for download right now. This week, Thorsten Rude on Twitter put out a bit of a warning. He said if you are using TLS version 1.3 with your Citrix ADC Gateway V servers, do not upgrade to firmware version 13.0.52.24 until Citrix can provide a fix. Or if you are upgrading, use version 1.2 of TLS instead. Great Andrew Morgan's Wake on LAN mesh product is now available. I talked about the initial preview release two weeks ago on the podcast and the 1.1 preview on last week's. This is awesome for those who would like Wake on LAN capabilities to remotely power on machines without the Wake on LAN broadcast. This is particularly topical with so many relying on remoting to physical desktops in the office. So I encourage you to check out the WallMesh, W-O-L-M-E-S-H for yourself because I'm sure it'll be of interest to a lot of people. And this week's episode is a bit of a rarity because I've got some hot jobs to cover. So without further ado, this episode's Hot Jobs. There's a role for an application packager in the UK who must be SC cleared. The role is based in Barrow in Furness. It's a six-month contract that's paying £300 to £327 per day. And it says remote working available for two days per week, but I'm assuming with the current circumstances, that's probably going to be five days a week. Just guessing. It said in the role, you will create application packages for deployment through SECM. 
maintain application packaging and deployment documentation, create SECM deployment applications and deployments, provide application deployment support, ensure QA and testing procedures are supported, provide technical input into project teams for client application creation and deployment. The skills and experience required include extensive MSI packaging experience, strong experience with SCCM 2012, strong experience of PowerShell scripting, experience with Windows 7, Windows 10, and Flexera Admin Studio, a minimum of three years in a similar role. Any experience with SCCM 2016 would be desirable. SC clearance and UK nationality is desirable. Experience with AppV packaging, experience with AppDNA, and any experience with packaging for Citrix published applications too. I could be a pretty good candidate for that job myself, but I'm not a UK national and I do not have clearance. <laughs> so, any of my packaging buddies out there looking for a role, this one might be of interest to you. And I'm assuming they're going to be flexible on the remote work for the next six months. I also noticed this week that the register shares some IT jobs every week. And this week they shared some roles in the UK and US, including roles like IT support, enterprise architect, reliability engineer positions, and more. And I'll share a link to that one with this episode too. And now this episode scripts, tricks, and tips. I just became aware of a tool called MSIX Hero, which is a toolkit which integrates several other tools, software development kits, and PowerShell scripts into a single elegant user interface. It looks like it makes the job of converting apps to MSIX much easier than the standard MSIX packaging tool. I'm excited to try it out. Nearsoft, who are constantly releasing these handy little tools, released a new tool called WinDef Threats View for Windows 10 that displays the list of all threats detected by Windows Defender Antivirus. For every threat, the following information is displayed. For every threat, it displays file name, threat name, severity, process name, initial detect time, status change time, remediation time, threat ID, threat status, and default threat action plus more. The tool also allows you to quickly set the default action, so be that allow, quarantine, clean, remove, block, or no action. And you could do that for multiple threats at once. You can use the tool on your local computer, and you can also get the threats list from a remote computer on your network too. And finally, this week, Joel Stalker from ControlUp showed a pretty fun demo of generating a Slack message when a user experienced a slow login in his environment. The Slack message then in turn triggered a red alert, lighting up a smart light bulb in his room. It reminded me of Joe and Steve from ThinkLine Computing's smoking red-eyed cat that they had generated with OctoBlue to spout out smoke and light up its eyes red when like a VDA went unregistered or a server went down. Might not be the most practical thing in the world for enterprise, but it's cool nonetheless and gives you an idea of what IoT and this type of automation could bring to you. And I'll share a link to that video so you can check it out for yourself or... If you'd like, you could also check out the video edition of this podcast on YouTube. And that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening and stay safe.